Well, hello, this is Michael Volkoff, and this is episode 180 of Corruption, Crime, and Compliance. Our episode today is a review of False Claims Act cases from 2020. And I'm happy to uh, welcome uh, Jessica Sanderson from my firm, a partner at the Volkoff Law Group, who uh, is going to join in the discussion today. And uh, she just recently posted a, a review on our blog uh, with the same name. Anyways, hope everybody is doing well, um, staying safe, staying healthy, getting the vaccine, uh, and that everybody is uh, being productive and uh, working. Anyway, uh, so let's hear first from our sponsor, Steel Compliance, and then we'll get right to the interview. Steel Compliance is the global leader in compliance and ethics management. Steel's compliance and ethics platform is comprehensive, robust, and easy to use to promote a company's culture of compliance. Steel partners with the world's largest, most respected companies to deliver compliance products and services that help organizations embrace a culture of compliance while protecting their brand. Building an ethical culture is a complex undertaking that requires a detailed understanding of the global compliance environment, considerable time, and specialized expertise. Steel's end-to-end ethics and compliance platform is designed to provide compliance officers with the solutions they need to proactively address changing regulatory and reputational risks. Steel's ethics and compliance automated platform offers critical functions designed to promote a speak-up culture to advance employee engagement, reporting, and incident management, investigate promptly and fairly potential incidents to ensure compliance with your organization's code of conduct and applicable laws and regulations, including anti-corruption, anti-money laundering, antitrust, sanctions, cybersecurity, and data privacy. Manage your organization's compliance policies and procedures to ensure that policies are updated and disseminated effectively so that employees understand your organization's compliance requirements, Educate and engage your organization to promote understanding in how your compliance program applies to -to day-to-day operations. And evaluate and monitor your organization's business partners, vendors, suppliers, and customers to mitigate risk and ensure adherence to your organization's ethics and compliance requirements. To learn more about Steel's compliance solutions, please contact us at email steelglobal.com or call 415-692-5000. Okay. Uh, well, hello, Jessica. Uh, thank you for making the time here. Jessica Sanderson, a partner uh, with me at the Volkoff Law Group, and we're here for her annual False Claims Act review. Um, how you got into this, Jessica, I don't know, but you ended up doing annual reviews of the False Claims Act, and I'm glad you do because I think it's a, a great area to look at. Well, thanks. Yeah, I worked um, in in a prior lifetime, Mike, as you know, at at a different firm, but I worked on um, a really large uh, False Claims Act case, a key TAM case that was brought, um, you know, having to do with Medicare and and Medicaid fraud in in the state of Texas. And we went up to the Fifth Circuit. um, And fortunately, we won. Um, And that's kind of how I got started. And then I had um, several False Claims Act cases that I ended up litigating um, you know, typically, I guess, again, in the prior life on the defense side, um, and, or either defending, you know, government investigations or key time litigation. And, you know, more recently with you, I've actually done some work on the plaintiff side, um, working with key time whistleblowers. So it's a really good perspective. I think that we can bring to, um, the field. Yep. 
Well, that's great. So let's talk about, um, you know, we have the new Biden administration and I, I, you know, my perspective is that uh, this False Claims Act is going to become even more of a risk. It's going to be a growing risk, particularly in the healthcare field, uh, as well as obviously defense contracting or any type of government contracting, but particularly for healthcare providers uh, and hospitals in particular. Um, so, um, and I think, you know, I think you can give us some perspective in terms of sort of the last year's performance under the Trump administration, but I think people should recognize uh, that things are going to change, but um, in terms of uh, risks. But that being said, there still was a lot of enforcement activity that occurred at the Justice Department under the Trump administration as well. So let's start with, you know, what was your perspective on the last year? And, you know, what did you see in terms of just from a macro level? Uh, what was your, you know, view of it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and, and I'm happy to and hope to have the time to talk about both those points, both what happened over the last year and kind of what I anticipate for the future under the Biden administration. But just real quickly, the, the first thing I'd say about that is, you know, I don't even think it's administration dependent nor party dependent. I think that um, both political parties would agree that fraud against the government is something that needs to be fought vigorously. And the False Claims Act is the government's primary tool. Um, you know, Senator Grassley has always been one of the most outspoken proponents of the whistleblower rules, for example, and he just recently called them patriots. So I think any, you know, political party or administration is, is going to be enforcing the False Claims Act. Um, and also, you know, we saw huge stimulus funds being offered during um, the Trump administration, which are going to be continuing into the Biden administration. And again, whenever you see massive federal funding, which we saw last year, like never before, um, the 2020 numbers for federal spending were actually up 47 percent from 2019. Um, we all understand that was necessary in the times of COVID, but you know, with the CARES Act and the PPP and, and all of the federal funding, uh, you know, an unfortunate consequence of that is that we do see people who try to defraud the government and steal that money. And it's the False Claims Act that's used to recover that. Um, and I think that, again, a Biden administration in particular, but hopefully this would be, you know, sort of a an effort, uh, you know, a bipartisan situation. If anyone tries to take advantage of the COVID relief funds or, you know, commit COVID fraud, I think that everyone's going to come down on them hard. Um, so having said that, and we can come back to the, at that at the end, but in terms of trends, um, you know, the actual total dollars that were recovered last year of 2.2 billion for 2020, I mean, that's actually significantly down from the prior years. Um, and in fact, you know, it's actually the, the lowest total FCA annual recovery since 2008. Um, and then if you dig into the numbers even further, um, a large chunk of that came from a very big resolution with Novartis Pharmaceuticals in the healthcare space. Um, so, you know, if you looked just at recoveries from the last year, it's actually a, quite an unremarkable year and remarkable only in the sense that um, it didn't seem to be as vigorously enforced, at least not when it came to the resolutions and collections. Um, obviously, cases take a while to investigate and to bring to resolution. So, you know, the numbers you see in 2020 are a reflection of cases that were probably initiated in, you know, 2017 or 18. Um, and you can give us some perspective on that from the Justice Department, but obviously things take time to process. Um, but, um, you know, 
the, the statistic that I found the most remarkable this year was the actual number of government in, in, initiated um, non-KETAM matters, excuse me. So, you know, I think people are generally familiar with the False Claims Act case here, how private individuals are empowered to bring a lawsuit on behalf of the government. They almost always initiate most matters. Um, but this year, what we did find is, is 250 matters that were um, opened by the government in other ways, whether they were referrals from other agencies or, um, you know, th there's different ways in which the information can come to the DOJ. That, that's actually the one that I think is probably the largest. Um, so, I mean, that's very, that's really interesting, you know, because I think year after year, it's always been a higher percentage of key TAM relators, you know, whistleblowers who are driving these cases. And, um, you know, you rarely see the government initiate their own. And you're saying there were over 250 cases last year brought, uh, initiated by the government. That must be through like regulatory referrals or something, you know. I'm That's what I'm thinking, thinking because if yeah. it came from an individual, it would be considered a key TAM matter. Right. So, um, so it's gotta be coming from all the other agencies. Um, and we see that actually in the healthcare space, they opened more than twice as many health care fraud matters than they did the year before. Um, so that must be coming from HSS OIG or um, some other referrals in that area. And then they opened twice as many um, Department of Defense or procurement fraud type matters than they did in 2019. So again, that would be referrals um, having to do with, you know, from government contractors in the defense space. So that to me suggests that um, our, the recoveries in the future years under the Biden administration, um, when those cases start to come to resolution are gonna be significantly greater because even though the private individuals may initiate most actions, uh, year after year, it's always been the case that the government recovers far more um, you know, taxpayer dollars or the recoveries are far greater in cases where the government's involved. Yeah. Um, so the fact that they are opening the matters means, you know, suggests to me that they're going to investigate them thoroughly and and prosecute them. Right. Um, and, right. and then they wouldn't have brought the case unless they it's like they've already decided to intervene in a sense. It's analogous to that. So, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So well, what but and that also is another. Did you see any changes in the trend where, you know, the general rule is if the government intervenes, you know, a whistleblower files, government investigates it, and where they intervene, the government wins usually, uh, either by settlement or you know, rarely going to trial. But do we see our our what happens in general to the cases where the government decides not to intervene? Are whistleblowers successful or not? You know, what? Do you see anything going on there? Yeah, when, when the government declines intervention, um, the whistleblowers are number one, far less successful, and number two, if they are successful, either through a settlement um, or in the rare case that it goes to trial, the recoveries are much smaller, substantially mm -hmm. smaller. So I think the, the statistic for this past year, less than 9% of the total Civil False Claims Act recoveries were attributable to key TAM cases where the government declined intervention. So the flip side of that is 91% of the recoveries is where the government's involved. Yeah. Um, you know, that brings us to sort of another issue that's been interesting and, and a place where I do, I do anticipate a change in the Biden administration. There's been a trend over the last several years of the government actually moving to dismiss case, key time cases. Um, typically they will do that if the government feels 
that it's just too much of a burden and they don't want to be involved in the discovery process and they don't think there's any merit to the claim or for whatever reason it may interfere with um, some other investigation or something mm -hmm. else that the DOJ is working on. Um, so we did see an increase in the government actually moving to dismiss claims. I think we'll see less of that in the Biden administration. I think it, it will be, unless it's an incredible burden to uh, of discovery, I think that the trend will be more to take a wait and see approach um, let the let the key time relators investigate, let them try to build a case at which point the, the government, you know, may decide to to intervene or may, you know, sit back and just share in the recoveries. But I, I do think that they will um, be far less likely to try to move to dismiss cases. I mean, yeah. do, do you, would you agree yeah, with that? No, or? I, yeah, it's a it's a Republican administration type of initiative, which is to go after the, uh, you know, to try to go after the, you know, less meritorious cases, you know, and get rid of them off the uh, docket. So I don't right. think it's going to happen with Biden. What do you think? Let's turn now to sort of uh, the sector analysis. And what I'm kind of curious here is, uh, uh, you know, what's the breakout usually of healthcare, defense industry, and then I guess other government contractors? Yeah, I mean, so every year, and it, it held true for this past year, that the healthcare recoveries in that space, the Medicaid, Medicare programs, um, VA, whatever it may be, but healthcare related is is always, you know, eighty percent or more of the recoveries. Mm -hmm. um, and the, you know, the so the Department of Justice re releases statistics every year, um, and so that's what we're basing this conclusion on. And they only have three categories: it's Department of Defense, Healthcare, and other. Um, the others, you know, spans various agencies. So, but the Department of Defense is always significantly, not only is it a, a lower percentage than the healthcare recoveries, but what I have never really understood is why it's so low in comparison to the actual spending. Because, mm -hmm. um, you know, the, the federal government spends a, a great deal of information. It's usually around, you know, 12% or so, let's say, if we took an average of, of total federal government spending. Um, and yet the recoveries in that space are only about 4%. So I've always expected it to be greater. And, um, you know, I mean, it would be nice to think that perhaps there's just less fraud committed in that space, but I think it may have to do more with, um, you know, the military attitude of following orders and, and perhaps less whistleblowers are, are far less likely to come forward and mm -hmm. initiate these investigations, or perhaps when, the Department of Defense is dealing with government contractors who typically hire former, you know, military employees. You know, there maybe there's a higher degree of trust there. I, I'm not sure exactly what would explain the reason that we see less recoveries in that area. Um, and I have, I don't want to predict that it's an increase because it hasn't year over year, but I, I've always expected it to increase. And what about healthcare companies, though? I mean, this is the bread and butter. And, uh, you know, what percentage, for example, last year, it was, um, I think it was 83% of the recoveries. And it just seems to me like their focus is, I mean, talk about money being spent, you know, with the Affordable Care Act, and we have so many uh, prosecutions going on. Um, and whistleblowers, there are plenty of whistleblower lawyers out there who are looking to make money uh, and, and sort of looking for clients in this area. But, you know, 
what do you think? I mean, 83% is a lot, even though the absolute amount wasn't an increase of what was recovered. But what's what's your sense of that? That's going to continue, right? Yeah, it's going to continue. And again, you know, the, the federal government works on a fiscal year. Mm-hmm. So within the fiscal year 2020, the healthcare recoveries weren't necessarily particularly high, but there were two major cases um, towards the end of 2020, but in fiscal year 2021, we've already had resolutions, one of them being with Purdue Pharma, um, which are, are massive recoveries. So 2021 already is, has, it has um, exceeded the total recoveries from 2020. Yeah, that was what two point. That was like over two billion dollars, wasn't it, from Purdue Farmer on Um, the oxycotton issue? Yeah, two point. Yeah, I mean, and and the other thing that I think we see commonly in the healthcare area, which is which is less common in Department of Defense, is um, sort of an an industry sweep or a practice. So if you find that one, for example, pharmaceutical company is engaging in certain unlawful practices, it's often the case that competitive pharmaceutical companies are, are engaging in the same practice. And so what happens is if, if the govern, if you get a whistleblower from say a Purdue Pharma and they start to raise issues, oh, Purdue Pharma is marketing this way or kickbacks or you know whatever the fault, off-label marketing, um, a lot of the um, fraudulent activity that goes on in the pharmaceutical companies, chances are that others like Indivier Solutions and other pharmaceutical companies are engaging in the same thing. And then they'll also go up and down the distribution chain. And I think we just heard, you know, McKinsey's actually, just resolved some allegations for their right. help and, you know, um, in, in, um, how I, I'm not super familiar with that case at the moment, so I don't want to misspeak, but no, you know, no, it is, it's a five. Yeah, no, it's in the same area. I mean, yeah, it's opioid so, because they were helping these companies to market and they were coming up with strategies to increase, you know, the use of opioids. So yeah. So I, I know one thing we do whenever a False Claims Act case comes out and it's, it's questioning a practice, say, from a company, mm-hmm. if we have any other clients in that same industry or related industries, we'll give them a call and make sure they're not engaging in the same practice. Right. <laughs> right. Know? No, that's a, that makes it. And we have clients who we regularly send, here's a False Claims Act case. And, you know, they may be looking at their own marketing practices for exactly. a medical device or, uh, you know. Uh, uh, for pharmaceutical and not to go too far afield, but you know, the same thing happens in the, in the FCPA area, the foreign corrupt practices. Right. Act. Right. So, um, you know, we're very, we're very conscious of the fact that if one company's doing it, oftentimes similarly situated companies are doing it also. And we want to make sure, um, that, you know, we counsel our clients accordingly. Yeah. Now let's turn to, um, uh, in part of your report, you talk about some of the significant cases. Are there any, you know, uh, I mean, I don't want to turn this into, you know, a law school class, but right. are there, you know, were there one or two cases that you highlight as kind of important that people should be aware of in this space? Uh, you know, because I know there's a lot of litigation uh, around all of these, but was there anything that you felt we should note for, for our listeners? Um, you know, there were, if we looked at what, what the courts were grappling with, as opposed to the resolutions and, you know, questions of materiality or scienter or presentment, um, you know, that's where I would, that's where I would more focus to say, you know, how is this conduct going to be viewed and what's required 
Um, and I am seeing a trend in the courts to be slightly more liberal in their interpretation of what could constitute a false claim. Um, so that may come in in the case, for example, when there's a question about whether a claim needs to be objectively false um, right. versus what they call a legal falsity, which is typically um, having to do with a certification. So if, if, if the government program requires a certification and that certification is false, that could cause the actual claim to be false. Um, and so I, I am seeing more of a move away from objective falsehood. And, and it's, it should be somewhat alarming to um, the medical profession because there are many cases now which say that judgments and opinions can be false if you have an expert um, to, you know, who is able to question whether that opinion was, was based on a, you know, verifiable information or, or if that's, you know, an opinion that can stand up in court. Um, and, you know, the significance from a litigation standpoint is if, if a doctor makes a medical opinion, for example, that, that a claim is medically necessary, and you have another expert who can offer a valid opinion that, that, that it wasn't medically necessary, that case is gonna survive summary judgment. At Got which it. point it's going to have to either go to trial or be settled. So that that's pretty significant to me when I see those types of cases. Yeah. Um, so now let's uh, and uh, now let's let's put on our forward-looking binoculars or whatever. Um, you know, we we anticipate uh, an increase in the use of the False Claims Act, but you're saying a lot of it is sort of pre-baked in already. Uh, in terms of, you know, these are career people at the Justice Department who are working on this, and they work on it no matter what administration. But, um, and then, I mean, what would you, in terms of compliance, uh, you know, what are some of the priorities you see in terms of fashioning or tailoring your compliance program in this new environment? You know what I'm saying? Well yeah, exactly. I mean, if I were making sure that my compliance policies and programs and internal controls were as tight as possible, I would really focus on the certification issue. And especially, you know, let's go back to the stimulus funds and COVID-19. Um, many of like the Paycheck Protection Program, the PPP or the CARES Act, um, they're coming in the form of loans, right? And those loans are backed by federal dollars. And with a lot of loans, there's there's a lot of certifications, right? So for example, under the PPP, um, the small businesses or borrowers, they have to certify um, you know, to many items that that the the loan is necessary to support, you know, the, the ongoing operations of the of the business, or that the the loan, the money's only going to be used to pay employees, or you know, that that they can't maintain their workers without the loan, all, all number of certifications that they're making. And if any one of those certifications is false, that could be a false claim. Um, yeah, so, so I, I, there's no doubt that we're gonna see litigation in, in the area of COVID-19 and stimulus funds. I mean, without a doubt. Um, I also think that a lot of our focus in the last year, um, quite understandably, has been on COVID-19. But before that, and it still remains a major issue, is the opioid crisis. So right. the last numbers that I heard, actually, um, opioid overdoses were causing as many deaths in the U.S. as COVID-19. 
And mm -hmm. so we're, go we're going to come back to that. When, when we normalize with COVID and have the vaccinations, I, I would not count any of the companies in any part of the distribution chain of the opioid crisis. I would expect more, um, more enforcement there. Um, and especially with the Purdue Pharma, there were just congressional hearings because um, a lot of people are up in arms about the fact that no individuals were, you know, um, criminally prosecuted or that they were their civil um, false claims act monetary penalties were not stiff enough. Um, so we're going to see some more individual accountability for sure. Um, yep. You know, but one of the things, I mean, so the, the, the new AG, Merrick Garland, hasn't been confirmed yet, but assuming he's confirmed, one of the first things I did was to try to look at his record, both at the Justice Department and as a judge um, in the False Claims Act and area. And, you know, he authored two opinions in the False Claims Act area, which in my view, again, took a very liberal view of the False Claims Act. Right. Um, so would be more sort of what I'd call government friendly or plaintiff friendly. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I fully expect that to, to continue under his administration. Yeah. Let me raise two issues, which I think will come up. Uh, one is I did notice that the Biden administration um, uh, adopted an executive order to expand the Buy America program and uh, which puts uh, government contractors under notice that certain components or portions of, let's say, their spend from vendors, suppliers, and whatnot, they end up having to certify that they are in compliance with the Buy America program. And I think the program itself is going to expand. And I think if you are a government contractor, that's one of the certifications that you got to be really careful about. Uh, and I would, I could uh, uh, absolutely see uh, enforcement in that area because it's obviously popular to say we're making sure that American businesses are getting the business from these contractors. Um, so that gets to your certification point. And the second thing I would say is, if you are in government contracting, obviously, you know the FAR, the Federal Acquisition Regulations. There are already requirements with regard to your compliance program. Uh, there are voluntary disclosure requirements, which are mandatory uh, as part of that. And to me, if you're a government contractor, uh, all I can tell you is you have to have a robust program, but you better audit, 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 and sample, and audit, and audit uh, your, you know, your spend uh, or your charging of the government because they're going to be looking at over that. And I expect them also to use you know, more and more analytics as ways to sort of flag unusual uh, payments or inquiries that need to be made. So anyways. Absolutely. The government's yeah. using analytics in every area. Yeah. Um, you know, and they do that in Medicaid and Medicare, for example, if they see an un, unusual um, increase in a certain code, Medicare or Medicaid reimbursement code, um, they're, they're really mining the data for that type of information. Um, yeah. and, and certainly it's possible in the government contracting world as well. And if we have a minute, one thing I'd add on the certification is under um, Attorney General Barr, the DOJ did come out with some you know, recent guidance saying that they were not going to view every single certification with every regulation as, as giving rise to a False Claims Act right. case. I think that actually will change under a Biden administration. I think they're going to be much more um, of a stickler for certification with 
um, pretty much, you know, every certification of compliance, every regulation, I think they'll be less lenient on that front. Yeah. Yeah. I expect so too. Well, thanks, Jessica. Uh, you know, I know we got you, uh, you know, keeping you busy uh, with the uh, False Claims Act materials and all that. So thanks for taking your time. Uh, and uh, we appreciate it. And definitely we should, you know, record more, have you on more, uh, if any interesting False Claims Act issues come up during the year. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. My and, pleasure. Oh, by the way, and if people want to reach you, how do they reach you? Sure. Well, you can always reach out to me by email at jsanderson at volkovlaw.com um, or feel free to give me a call 303-908-9474. But really you can reach out to any of the attorneys in our firm. You too, Mike. Yeah, (laughs) Um, yeah, yeah. We'll work closely and we're all happy to help. Yep, absolutely. We're here to help. Okay. Thanks, Jessica. Have a tremendous uh, weekend and uh, and, uh, thanks again for your time. Thanks. Bye-bye. Thanks again for listening to Corruption, Crime, and Compliance please subscribe to the podcast series. The Volkov Law Group believes that every company should have a robust ethics and compliance program. Experience and research show that ethical companies are better performers in the global marketplace. You can learn more about the legal and compliance services we offer at our website, www.volkovlaw.com. You can also follow our award-winning blog, Corruption, Crime, and Compliance, and our podcast series. You can contact Michael Volkov at his email address, mvolkov at volkovlaw.com.